Welcome to Employee to Lawyer, the employment law podcast presented by NILA Illinois, the podcast that discusses the policies, regulations, and laws that affect our workplaces, presented primarily from the perspective of employee or plaintiff-side lawyers. We are your hosts, Ahmed Bindra and Max Barrett. We are members of the Board of Directors of NILA Illinois, the Illinois chapter of the National Employment Lawyers Association, a nonprofit collection of attorneys who empower workplace rights. And welcome back to Employee to Lawyer. You've come back again. We are your hosts. I'm Max Barrick. I'm Amit Bindra. I got it that time. You didn't have to remind me. Nice. Small victories. And we've got something a little bit different today. We've got somebody that's a really good friend of Amit and I. And in this case, we've got a recovering attorney today instead of a, a, a currently practicing attorney. At least that's how Amy describes herself. So today we're talking to Amy Gardner. She is one of the principals at Aprochromatic. It is a coaching and consulting firm. Amy is a certified career development and career transition coach. Prior to co-founding Aprochromatic, Amy was the dean of students at University of Chicago's Law School, which is a top five law school in this country. She also worked as an associate attorney at Skadden Arps, which is a renowned international law firm, and was a partner at Ungaretti and Harris LLP, a, a more mid-sized firm. While Amy worked for Skadden, the Chicago Daily Law Bulletin profiled her extensive pro bono work, which resulted in Amy receiving the Chicago Volunteer Legal Service Foundation, a 2006 Distinguished Service Award. Amit, thank you for writing that as such a mouthful deliberately. She also founded She also founded and led the Chicago Lawyer Chapter of the American Constitution Society. We're chuckling. Amy, Amit deliberately writes these bios in, in convoluted ways, so I have to vomit all over my words as I read them. And I love your bio because there's so many awesome things you've done, so it takes them like a minute to get through it. It's great. I'm not even done yet. And Amy received her BA from Luther College in English and Political Science and her JD from the University of Chicago Law School, where she was also the top access editor for the Law Review. In 2017, Amy earned her MA in Public Policy Administration from Northwestern University. She's also a graduate of the Institute of Professional Excellence in Coaching. Amy is heavily involved in the Chicago community and has served as the president of the U of C Alumni Club of Chicago and is a member of the university's Alumni Board of Governors. Due to her service, Amy also received the Young Alumni Service Citation in 2007. Amy has traveled to five European cities in the American Marshall Memorial Fellow as an American Marshall Memorial Fellow, damn it, to, to meet with policymakers and prominent members of the business, government, political, NGO, and media communities. And in 2017, Amy was also appointed to the Illinois Supreme Court Committee on Character and Fitness. No word yet on whether Amy intends to attend the other high-ranking schools in the city of Chicago at some point, but I'm sure we'll get into that today. Amy, welcome. Thank you. I, I actually, I feel like that now we have the whole episode is probably done. I don't know where you found that version of my bio, but wow, that's, that's a lot. It didn't mention that I've had dogs. I learned how to tie my shoes. Like <laughs> Those are not, even the only things not in there. <laughs> I'm, I'm very good at research, surprisingly, but it is, it's on your website. Oh, geez. Uh, and it's a deep Googler. He likes to really, he likes to really unsettle you with these. My apologies to your listeners who were like, all right, let's go. Let's move this along. We, we had another guest recently, Gail Eisenberg, who also had a very distinguished and impressive bio that took me minutes to get through and was also <laughs> written in a very complicated way. So you're in good company. <laughs> good thing I'm a legal, legal writing teacher. <laughs> <laughs> My gosh. So, so Amy, you're, you're a little unique. We're going to do another episode and talk about your unique career path for the legal world, but you're unique for us in that you're, you, you kind of describe yourself as a recovering attorney or a former attorney, but you're one who still is involved in the legal industry. So what we want to talk to you about today is how COVID has had an effect on the legal industry in hiring and how laws practice generally, you know, et cetera. So, but before we get into that, 
how did your roles working at law firms and then as DDIV students prepare you for going into consulting and coaching? Sure. I think that's such an interesting question. I think so often we we focus on the job that we're in and then we don't um, ever stop and look back over the scope of our career and, and begin to understand how um, everything led us to the point that we're at. So it's really interesting to think about. A lot of our career development and transition coaching is really focused on lawyers. So having been a big law associate and partner at a mid-sized firm and law school dean of students, really prepared me to understand and have empathy for the unique issues and pressures that lawyers face. And that's not to say that you can't be in any other career and have pressures and, and, and difficulties that you encounter. But I do think that the ones that lawyers deal with every day are, are different in some important ways. And I feel like I can bring a lot of empathy and understanding to, to our clients. In terms of our team and leadership development work with a variety of employers, but particularly with teams within law firms and in-house counsel legal teams, I think my, my past experience helped me relate again to, to the issues that people are encountering but also have really developed my ability to identify issues quickly, understand that it's often the thing behind the thing that's really causing the trouble and be able to peel back the onion. So for example, you know, I often worked on internal investigations and when I was practicing law. And so something would pop up and you would think, oh gosh, this is an issue that, you know, regulatory agency might be concerned about, or there might be some, some legal ramifications of, and then as you dug into that issue, you often found underlying concerns that had led to, to the thing that became visible. And it, it's the same with working with teams now where um, an employer might say, gosh, we're having problems with turnover. So they might think, oh, maybe we need to give raises or do summer Fridays. But what they really may need is to get their team reengaged with you know, the work that they're doing. And it, it may be the lack of trust in the team. It might be that there's a lack of communication or a lack of a shared mission. So knowing how to identify what's a symptom and what's a cause, bring fresh eyes, and then identify creative and engaging ways to help move beyond them are, are things that I think I, I know that I developed as a lawyer and particularly as a dean of students. It just strikes me that a lot of what you're describing, those skills are the kinds of like general skills that they sort of give you in law school and that you mm -hmm. hone in a role like you had that maybe the general public doesn't necessarily think in that way. Yeah, I think, you know, I, when I was a, an associate at a big firm, I used to joke that it wasn't law school that prepared me. It was working on political campaigns because that's where I learned to run in high heels. And that was a really key part of my success at a law firm, that and making really good binders. But I, I think that in any role, you can learn things that you don't know how they're going to apply down the road. And I think that those skills, even when you have a job that you wonder, gosh, what am I doing in this job? Or, you know, maybe you don't feel like there's a ton of meaning. If you can focus on the tools um, that you're developing, then they can end up benefiting you in, in surprising ways later on. And I think one thing that's tough about being an attorney, there's so much quick transition during different parts of your career. It's like law school to an associate, to senior associate, to partner. And your law school doesn't prepare you for any of that. So it's actually kind of cool the way you did it in the sense of you were a law student went through that process and then circled all the way back to mentoring law students. But even when you talked about burnout, you know, we don't learn how to manage people. We don't learn how to re-engage employees. That's all stuff we're learning on the fly. Absolutely. I mean, I, when I was in high school and college, every summer I worked in the Wisconsin Dells. And in particular, I worked at Noah's Ark, America's largest water park, Land of the Free and Home of the Wave. And I, ironically, that's really where I learned how to manage was because I was the only female and youngest manager of a restaurant at Noah's Ark. 
And they had me managing a restaurant of maybe, I don't know, 30 employees. And it is very different, to be clear. It is very different to manage 16-year-olds who don't want to mop versus managing adults who are you know doing practicing law at the highest levels, to be very clear. But I do think that you know, some of those things that law school doesn't prepare you for, and often, especially in those days, law firms didn't train you for, or, or skills that I developed through high school jobs and college jobs. And so I, I think that's really important to remember as we're doing hiring, that it's not just the things you learned in law school that you want employees to bring to, say, a law firm, right, or whatever things they learned in their formal education. You want them to bring their their diverse experiences and skill set that they gained in other ways. That's one of the biggest advices I've been giving people right now is, regardless of industry, if you want to be successful, be a bartender, work in the service industry, especially when you're younger, because you're forced to deal with other people, which is really... You know, being a lawyer is dealing with clients, dealing with coworkers, dealing with other attorneys. And one thing that struck me too, so I, I teach a writing class at a law school and I thought it'd be fun because I could become a better writer. I'd nerd out about grammar rules. And really what I've learned about is I've learned how to mentor and coach people, especially when you're giving feedback on writing. It's so personal. And that's the type of stuff you don't learn in law school. It's not even a skill I thought I would be developing teaching. And, you know, when I went back to laws, to the, the U of C law school to be the dean of students, I was surprised at how legal education didn't seem to have changed between when I graduated and when I went back to work there. And so one of the things I really focused on was developing leadership and professionalism among law students. And it, those roles, like teaching, teaching a first year legal writing class, things like that. I mean, those law students really look up to their professors and can learn so much. And particularly when law schools aren't teaching leadership and professionalism, then that's really what they have to go on. So I'm sure that, that your students appreciated your modeling and, and your care about their growth and development. Well, and that's actually a perfect segue because, you know, Max and I both graduated around the same time from law school, which was essentially the height of the last financial crisis. And so what are you noticing similarities between 2009 to 14 and kind of what COVID has done? Uh, yeah, I am. I'd say that there's kind of two things that jump out at me is one is what, uh, that last time around, there was, again, all this uncertainty that we're experiencing now. There was a big variation in terms of practice areas. And we're seeing that right now where certain practice areas are just booming with jobs and other practice areas are not having the same recovery yet. And we hope that it's a yet, but so there are, there's a wide variation. And so at the same time, some people, some lawyers are getting huge bonuses and, you know, busier than they probably want to be than there are other lawyers who are really, really struggling. But, and I think another similarity that I hope is not true, but one thing that we we've seen is that people who graduated in the last recession or lost their jobs in the last recession there was an article, I believe it was law.com, maybe in March or so, where they talked about the lingering effects for people who lost their jobs and went through that. And I hope that that won't be the case, but I don't think you can, I think it's a mistake to underestimate the long-term effects for those lawyers who have lost their jobs and, and then have to recover in terms of their, their trust in future employers. And also the effect on the people who haven't been let go. I mean, there is this guilt that people have when they aren't let go. And, and we've seen that a lot of firms have really cut support staff and that has helped their profitability. And if you, your assistant gets laid off or things like that, you know, other people that you value that you work with, even if they didn't have the same job title as you, you there's still effects from that. And I think that 
it's important to appreciate that it's not just the people who have lost their jobs who have really uh, struggled seeing colleagues let go and, and experiencing all that uncertainty. I think it's a nice, I think that's a nice point to make Amy too, because, you know, it's funny, like when we're in law school, you get in orientation, at least at Kent anyway, you have that one day of orientation where the folks from the ARDC for the non-lawyers, the attorney registration disciplinary commission, the lawyer police who, who give us our licenses and whatnot, you know, come talk to us about burnout as a concept and substance abuse and mental health. I, I swear it's on the same day that they have the wine and cheese reception, but I could be off on that. But you know, but it's like you say, like nobody prepares you for that. And this pandemic has been really hard on a lot of people. I mean, other than the obvious death and, and economic, you know, turmoil, whether you lost your job or not, it's hard to know whether you're okay walking out of it, right? You're not seeing people for a lot of the time. You're not interacting with your coworkers. Maybe if you didn't like your job as much, or you weren't sure if you liked it, but you liked the camaraderie and that's gone. That's a lot of cold, hard facts staring you in the face all at once. And, you know, the three of us have all dealt with different things during this pandemic that we may not all understand or appreciate, but we still dealt with different challenges. It's the same thing in a work setting. I know there's some attorneys I've talked to who, like you said, feel guilty that they have kept their jobs. And so because of that, they're working more because they're like, I have an obligation. I don't want to lose my job, et cetera. So I just think it's tough. And I think that's one thing leaders definitely have to be cognizant about is what everyone on their staff, on their team is kind of dealing with. They may not understand it, but it's still something. I think we there's a lot of data now that we've seen that the effects of the pandemic have been particularly hard on women and particularly women of color. And that goes across all industries. Um, but particularly some of the industries where people can't work remotely, we've seen that a lot of those jobs and people who had to go to work in person have been held by people of color and particularly women. And so I think there's a lot of effects that we can see that vary a lot. I, I kept saying early on in the pandemic that we weren't all in the same boat. We were all in the same storm. And I've, I have clients who moved to their summer homes and so they haven't been in the city where they normally would practice. And so their experience has been very different than someone who is, I have a client who has two roommates in uh, an apartment in Brooklyn. And so his experience is very different. And it doesn't mean that it's easier for anybody. It just means that you're having a different experience. And I think that it's important for lawyers to remember that our clients may not have had the same experience and our colleagues may not have had the same experiences that we've had. That's a, yeah, I, I agree with that wholeheartedly. And I think, I don't know what the stat is, but I think the pay gap now is going to take an extra 30 years or something to it's equalize. Yeah. I don't know if, I think it was yeah, December really where essentially every job loss was for women. And so those are types of things that as a society, we're going to have to grapple with at some point. Absolutely. And, you know, the, the burnout numbers are up across the board. I mean, the, if you look at how much time people save commuting, all of that and then some in a lot of cases has been replaced with more work time. And part of that is because everybody's burned out. So they're distracted during the day and then they've got to catch up at work at night. But that's part of why productivity is up at so many employers and so many law firms in particular is it's not that people are being more efficient necessarily. In some cases, I'm sure they are. But in a lot of cases, it's just because people are working in some studies up to three hours more per day. So of course, when people are working extra 15 hours a week, your productivity is the same or higher, but that's pretty dangerous in terms of burnout and how people are feeling about their jobs. Yeah, I don't know how it's sustainable. I mean, part of it is there's not much else to do, but I mean, I get emails from attorneys on the weekends. Now I'm, I do it too, but yeah, everyone's working nonstop and everyone's accessible right now. So it's very hard 
to create a demarcation line. You know, one interesting thing we, so as I mentioned before, we, we often work with in-house legal teams and we had a discussion with one of the teams we work with where people were talking about the hardest parts of the pandemic for them. And the, the folks that were trying to help kids e-learn were trying to say, you know, you can't have a seven-year-old sit on Zoom all day alone without supervision, right? And so that's why I'm distracted during meetings. And somebody else said, okay, because colleagues with kids have often wanted, based on their division of labor at home and things like that, they've often wanted to stretch out the workday or needed to. Then that meant that people who didn't have those same pressures and could sit down and work, you know, quote unquote, normal workday were frustrated because then at the end of the day, they were getting all the responses to their emails from the colleagues who couldn't work during the day. And those colleagues who couldn't focus during the day were just exhausted. And then the people who were working a normal workday were frustrated. So there's lots of, I think, harm to some of these relationships that we're seeing and that people are going to have to live with. And certainly we're hearing from lots of clients who are saying, look, I, I liked my job because of the people I worked with. I liked it you know, because of these factors that don't really exist now. So now I'm going to take the job with more money and leave. I mean, I think if you, I mean, I think it's what we were talking about, right? Like if you, if there's nothing tethering you personally to the job anymore, then why are you there? You know, other than obviously we all need a paycheck and, and what have you. Amy, I want to, stepping back from the mental health stuff, I want to circle back a little bit to what we were talking about at the beginning and bring up something, it's a little off script. There was, when Amit and I were graduating, or probably actually before, I started to hear about something sort of, there were these lost classes of attorneys where like people who really had done nothing wrong other than have the misfortune of graduating in 2009 and 2010 and 2000, whatever, where they just sat there on the open market. Some of them had job offers yanked. Some of them had big, big firms that everybody in our industry would recognize as being, you know, the top X in the industry tell them, yeah, you can keep your job, but go find something else to do for six months, two years, a year, whatever, which, okay, fine. What am I going to do for six months, 10 bar? Like, do you, is it too early to know if we're going to see something like that again? Are you seeing any of the whispers of, of what that looked like before? So I'm really optimistic based on the fact that so many firms are doing so much hiring right now. And it certainly varies a lot by area of law. Right. So the, the job opportunities for somebody looking for a job at a big firm in capital markets, for example, or private equity are very different than um, the job opportunities for folks who are maybe looking at, at small firms or different areas. So I am optimistic. I think that a lot of the trimming of, of staff and headcount that, that were done that were so painful for so many people last year hopefully mean that as people do start to go back to offices or in new arrangements, then those positions will need to be filled again. And I'm hopeful that firms took a lot of steps early in, in 2020, and it didn't get down to the down as far the path that we went last time where so, such big cuts were needed. But I, I think it's too early to know for sure. And I think that for people who are graduating from law school right now, even if you have accepted an offer, it is important that you keep networking because what we saw exactly as you said, Max, so many people had offers rescinded. And I actually, I graduated from law school in June of 2002, so not too long after September 11th. And so I appreciate the, the uncertainty that people are going through, having gone through it myself. And when I actually, when I made partner at my firm, I did not know if I was gonna be laid off. 
at the same time, because there were layoffs happening all around me at that point. So I, I can relate to some of the anxiety, but it's really important that you keep networking and not to, to find a new job, but to support your network and keep in touch with people because you never know. And it's going to make you a happier lawyer if you have that those bonds with other, other attorneys. We could probably do an entire show or several shows on the benefits and best practices for networking as a concept. It's how Absolutely. Amy, it's how Amy and I know, and Ahmed all know each other. So it's, you know, when we bring the law students on, maybe we'll have you come back, Amy, and kind of give them a tutorial. It is how I got a job after law school. I mean, yeah. I graduated 2012. Jobs were not easy during the financial crisis and it was just networking. I've never gotten a job in this industry that I didn't in some way, shape or form help network my way, network my way into. And that doesn't mean like you have a friend in a, in a high place, right? Who places you. It means there's somebody somewhere to vouch for you and you've got people who are right, Amy. I mean, is there, is there another way you'd describe it as the expert? No, I mean, I think that's exactly right. So I, I think right now there's kind of three buckets of folks who are impacted. There's a law students who we've talked about a little bit. Then there's a folks who unfortunately have to leave the market for one reason or another. And then there's going to be the people who are considering going to a new firm who are at a firm right now. What advice would you have for that second bucket of folks who may have, who want to re-enter the market? So I often tell uh, people that the more unusual your resume is, the more important networking becomes. Right? So if you are a, a law student who's just graduating, networking is going to be a great tool for you and it's going to be really helpful, but you can still get jobs without networking as a new law, law school graduate, depending on the circumstances. But if you're somebody who's coming back to, to the market, know that networking is going to be super important. Also understand that there are lots of ways that are, are lots of tools that are set up to help you, right? So particularly for people who are coming back from the workforce after maybe staying home with children, there are various programs that you can join that are designed specifically for you. And also understand that you have a lot to offer. And I think sometimes what we see with people who are returning to the workforce is they've lost some of their mojo and they can be, can feel sheepish about asking for a favor or reconnecting with people because they think, gosh, you know, I've been out for a few years and I didn't stay in touch with people the way that I had hoped to. Okay, but so reach out. It is okay to, to say, you know, it's been a while. How are you? And just reconnect. Because remember, the person you're reaching out to to rekindle the relationship, most likely they didn't reach out to you in the last however long, right? So just, you can acknowledge it, but then move on and, and don't be shy about doing that and focus on the tools that you've developed. Right. So if you have been an active community volunteer, say, and you have um, organized events, or if you have um, built your network with um, people that you've met on the playground, right there, those are new assets that you have. And those can be really valuable and can be helpful connections in a job search too. So oh, I'd say, great. you know, don't, don't beat yourself up, whatever you didn't do, you didn't do, but you've obviously been doing other things. And focus on focus on networking and acknowledge the, the things that you've learned during your time away from the paid workforce and make sure that you include those on your resume. So, you know, community volunteer type thing, boards you've served on, all those types of things can be valuable things to have on your resume. When you say when you say an unusual resume, Amy, can you can you delve into that a little bit more? And also, I guess to build on that and cram several questions into one, it, I have been led to believe that our generation of lawyers are just people in general job hops a lot more than those that have preceded us. So I, I guess kind of taking those two things together, what constitutes an unusual resume in this day and age? And is, it, have law firms started to kind of accept or recognize that you might not be getting people who, 
you know, have spent 10 years at one place and now are ready to make that move. They may have been a few. And so places. I would say an unusual resume to me is one where, um, so, so I guess a more typical, another way to look at it is a typical path is somebody goes to a larger firm and that doesn't have to be a big firm, but it needs, you know, a little bit larger firm and they figure out what they want to specialize in. And maybe they go to a boutique, a boutique that focuses on that area, right? So maybe you go to a big firm and you decide you really enjoy labor and employment work. And then you decide to go to a labor and employment focused firm right? On, on either side. And so it's sort of that, that progression from larger to smaller firm. And maybe there's a clerkship beforehand or something like that, but usually you're decreasing the size of the firm. An atypical resume might be that you graduate and you go into a government agency. So maybe you, maybe you work for the city of Chicago, right? And then from that, you go to a firm and then maybe you jump around, go to a couple of different firms, and maybe you hop back to the CHA and then you're going back looking for a firm. So kind of the more transitions would make a resume more unusual time off. I mean, it's not unusual to take time off, but if you've been gone a particularly long time or maybe you're trying to switch practice areas after being gone, that would, I think, make it a little bit more unusual. And all that means is you just need to, to network and you need to make sure that you're really focused on how the narrative that you're telling ends with you in the job that you're interviewing for, right? People want to understand the arc of your career and they want to understand that the job that they're considering you for makes sense. All right. And they want to know that you're not going to be the next, they're not going to be the next bullet point on a resume that has, you know, a series of one-year stops, right? Right. Because you're absolutely right that people are now moving jobs a lot more frequently. And so because of that, employers are reasonably so, especially concerned about making sure that if they're going to invest all the money in onboarding you and training you and having you as part of the team, that you're going to to be there so that they can, you know, if nothing else, recoup their investment, but also have you as a long-term contributor. All right. Now we get one of our awkward silences that Steve can edit. Um, when you had the, the pen up before, for? when you had the pen up before, I was like, what is happening? I was so confused. I'm sorry. You should try to pay as little attention to my facial expressions and activities. It, it, Burley will walk in here and I'll have to fight him out from under the desk. Debbie and Daria will walk in to smile at me. I'll just do something spastic. We had an interview with Catherine, our president, where at one time Daria woke up and was screaming and Burley dug up the yard and ran into that freshly cleaned house with mud all over his paws. That's awesome. Um, Max's oh face was priceless. I've never seen a look like that ever. And Amit <laughs> was like, thank God I've made the life choices that I have. I'm a single yes. guy. Yep. <laughs> no obligation. No 80, no 80 pound dog. No baby. And Catherine uh, is just like, I don't know what's going on, but I think we're ending this suit. <laughs> So anyway, now that we've derailed this, where do we want to go back to, guys? I think I got something. Go for it. All right, here, we're starting again. Now we're serious. So to tie it together and kind of to go back to points we've made earlier, I think one thing law school doesn't do a good enough job of teaching students is the business side of being a lawyer. And what I mean by that is, you know, ultimately we all, especially as private sector attorneys, work at a law firm where they end, or work at a business where the end deliverable is a legal service. And so that's where I think the talk about networking is so valuable. It's not just about finding a job. It's about identifying clients, getting better at just talking to people, stuff like that. And I think that's such an important thing that especially I didn't realize even in law school, maybe even until maybe five years ago. And so I, I know we talked a little bit about how law students can kind of focus on the market and maybe people who want to reenter having kind of a unique resume. What about that third bucket then of folks who do want to shift and go to a new firm? What are some tips or advice for them in terms of how they can make themselves more attractive? So I think it's important in any job search to focus on why you want to go to the place that you are interviewing with or applying to. Often 
I see that attorneys focus on the things they don't like about the place where they are. And no one wants to hire somebody that they think is running from, right? You want to feel as though the person you're hiring is running to you and your organization. So I think that's really important to focus on. I think it's also important for attorneys to focus on the skills and the tools that they've developed. So maybe you haven't had the opportunity to do 500 depositions, but maybe you've done 50 witness interviews and maybe you haven't argued in front of the Seventh Circuit or the Illinois Appellate Court, but you have argued some motions to dismiss, or maybe you have gotten pro bono cases that have given you opportunities to argue substantive motions or to do witness interviews. So focus on the, the toolbox and certainly look for opportunities to develop additional skills. But a lot of times I think attorneys focus on, well, I only have 90% of this. <laughs> I don't get an A. I haven't had all these opportunities, but focus on what you have had and what you've done with the opportunities that you've been given. And if you are in a firm and knowing that you want to leave, but for some reason you can't leave right now, focus on how you can make the current situation better. Because however, whatever habits you develop in your current role, you're going to take those with you to the new one. So you're better off using the time where you know you're going to leave, but you haven't left yet to improve those habits. And so it might be that you focus on improving your networking or relationships or time entry, whatever it is, make sure that you do what you can to, to improve the situation you're currently in. See, I, I like to, to turn some of it on its head. I feel like somebody with an unusual resume could present a lot of options that you might not have thought of when you post the position, right? Like that person, you just, this hypothetical human being that you described a few minutes ago, who's like worked at all these varied places, if they're at least getting some decent experience there, they may not come with the skill set you imagined in a package when you posted the job, but they may have other qualities that you don't, you know, we're a labor and we always use labor and employment because that's what this podcast is. But, you know, you're a labor and employment firm. Yeah, maybe this person hasn't taken those cases to jury trial, but maybe they've done something unusual, like not even unusual. They've worked at the Department of IDFPR, Department of Financial and Professional Regulation. They haven't done jury trials, but they've done lots of contested hearings over people's licenses. They're quick on their feet. Like, I think sitting in, in these shoes now, I got to imagine there, there are opportunities, right? With some of these more varied situations, if somebody knows how yeah, to I, absolutely. It, right? I definitely agree with that. I mean, and maybe this is just because I watch too much sports, but in basketball a lot, there's this term called unicorn that's been coming up a lot where you're trying to find someone who's unique and different from the other players from a skill set standpoint. And a lot of times I'm thinking to myself, either when I'm talking to people or if I'm, you know, hiring someone, what value added is this person bringing that we don't already have? What's different about them? What's unique? What's great? What makes them a unicorn? And I think that the, the people that we all want to work for are the people who recognize the unique contributions that we have to offer. Right. And so certainly it can be frustrating if you feel like you're not making uh, progress in your job search, but that might, it might be that there's a problem, right? Maybe you need some mock interviews. Maybe you need some resume help. Maybe you need some networking help, but it may also just be that the people you're interviewing with so far just haven't had the imagination to see how you can really join the team and make unique contributions. So you mentioned earlier about running to a firm. And I think with some places, it's kind of easy to know what you're getting into, but what, what do you recommend for places that are more, maybe it's a boutique firm, it's a smaller place. How do you vet? How do you determine you're running to something? One thing that I think is really important is to figure out in advance before you start looking. So we often start our clients working on exercises related to their values and related to their long-term goals, um, related to their character strengths. And 
that way, if you can put together a scorecard up front of the things you're looking for, then when you have an offer, you will be in much better shape. I've ranted many times about gift baskets. And to be very clear, I am a fan of a gift basket. But what drives me bananas is when um, a client will receive a gift basket when they get their offer. And I mean, let's face it, when you get a gift basket, you're excited. And so I am more than once, I have told the client, shove it down the trash chute, get rid of the gift basket, stop looking at the gift basket, give it away right now, because I don't want their judgment to be clouded by the gift basket, right? And so there's always that excitement, even if you don't get a gift basket, when you get an offer, particularly if you're feeling unappreciated at your job or unchallenged at your job, all of a sudden people are wanting you to go there, right? And they may be offering you more money. They may be offering you different opportunities and it can be easy to be swayed, but having a, a scorecard or done the work up front to figure out what matters to you makes it much less likely you end up in the wrong fit and then allows you to go towards something. Um, and another thing that it's so important to do is to do your research. When you have an offer, that doesn't mean your research time has ended you have the opportunity to say, I'd like to talk with more associates. So if you're an associate and you've just been interviewed by partners, this happened recently with a client of mine where the firm rolled out the red carpet and had him interview with, I think, six different partners, including some very, very senior partners. And then he realized, wait a minute, as we talked it through, he hadn't talked to any associates. And in that case, I don't think it was a red flag at all. I think it was just scheduling, but it could be, right? So you want to make sure you ask. And you also want to make sure that you talk to other people. So talk to people who have left that employer. Talk to people who are still there. You know, take the time to, to put in um, the effort. And again, don't be, don't have the bright, shiny objects cause you to end up in a place that you don't want to be and don't feel like you can stay over the long term. I love the advice of talking to folks who've left because then you get a feel. Are they leaving for better opportunities, whether there's something else? And how long were they there? Were they only there for a couple of months and then jump ship? We have a very annoying hiring process in a way, in the sense that we have like attorneys, partners, sports staff all interview a candidate. Because, you know, when you're a smaller shop, you got to make sure everyone's kind of on board and on the same page. And it's good for the candidate too, because then they get a good sense of what they're walking into. I think if, if you aren't interviewed by support staff and that, you know, a lot of organizations, that's just isn't their practice, right? And that's not a necessarily a reflection of any particular choice. That's just the way it's always been done. But I do think that the choices about who's interviewing as much as they can be just who's available that, that Tuesday, they can tell you something about what the organization values. And so I'm sure that candidates that are interviewing with your firm are probably getting a, a sign right away that you value the input of the whole team. That's great. Do you want to do your favorite segment? I do. Okay. So we didn't tell you about this beforehand. What we try to do, especially right now, because there's a pandemic, is we- Is make you share your deepest, darkest fears on the record. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. That. Everyone, <laughs> Go on, mommy. So we, we want to do a shout out of the week. And so this could be a person, an organization. It could be a guilty pleasure on Netflix. It can literally be anything, but just something to add positivity to this pandemic world. So I want to do a shout out to all the people who've kept going. Right. I mean, this have been certainly challenging times. And I think about the, the owners of restaurants, for example, who have done everything that they needed to do to keep going. Or I think about uh, a good friend of mine, Heather Hubbard, who has completely changed her business and 
had a very successful business and shut it down to start an entirely different one. And the faith that that folks are showing and continuing to go to go for their their dreams and go after their goals even during difficult times. So um, I guess I would shout out to the people who've kept going even when the last what are we at now 15 months or so um, has been incredibly difficult for them. Amy, that was very that was very uplifting. With the full caveat that we can't tell you exactly when this is going to air yet, is there anything you'd like to plug that's not time sensitive that that you want to share about the work you and Keith are doing at Epichromatic or the like, or otherwise? Sure. So I encourage folks who listen to who are listening to connect with me on LinkedIn, and we do Epichromatic does tons of. We do free Get Stuff Done days, which are virtual co-working days. We have uh, free at least quarterly happy hours on Zoom. We have free webinars at least quarterly. We do lots of legal career clarity calls where we do complimentary calls with lawyers to talk through some struggle that you're having in your legal career. So feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn and then you can start to see those or shoot me an email and we can add you to the email list. And I'm at amy at apochromatic.com. And I'll plug you all too. I did your goal setting program in January. I think it was January 2nd. It was incredible. It was just nice to sit there, brainstorm for the year, put together goals, have a self-audit, kind of what you were talking about earlier, having an internal assessment. And I found it very valuable. Oh, that's great to hear. Thank you. And we are um, actually going to be bringing back Achievement 21 Golapalooza. And we'll be doing another um, version in June. And then, uh, of course, we'll be doing it again in the fall as we look to the new year. So that's great to hear, though. Well, a big thank you to Amy Gardner for joining us today. Amy, thank you so much for coming on to talk about this. This was so much fun. Thanks for having me. Our podcast is intended to provide general overviews of employment laws. The statements and opinions provided in this podcast are just that, the host's opinion. We are not your attorney. This podcast does not create an attorney-client relationship, and it's not intended to provide specific legal advice. For legal questions, please consult with an attorney.